0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Kodakery. I'm Megan. And I'm Josh. Our guest this week has spent time in front of the lens as an actor and professional skateboarder, but his most recent work is done from behind the lens. Intrigued by the cameras on set, Jason Lee began his foray into all things photographic and came out on the other side a talented artist. We discuss his upcoming book, A Plain View, a collection of large-format color film photographs of rural Texas. A selection of his work from a plain view will be shown at an exhibition in Texas from June 2nd through June 18th, but in the fall you'll be able to get a copy of the book yourself and see just how beautiful and honest Jason's work is. So let's jump into the Kodakery and talk with Jason.
1: Hey everybody, welcome to The Kodakery. Today in The Kodakery, we have a guest that we are honored to have on our show. He is a true renaissance man, a professional skateboarder, an actor who's worked with Kevin Smith, Cameron Crowe, Pixar, had a very successful comedy series on ABC, and he's also an acclaimed photographer. Jason Lee, thank you so much for joining us on The Kodakery.
2: Thank you so much. What a great introduction. It sounded like that soothing kind of public radio you like to listen to. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you, have, um, you, have a, you have a great voice, Josh. I love that. I'm, I'm going
1: I'm I'm to take that as a compliment. Uh, Thank
2: you, man. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: so, so, Jason, as, as I just mentioned, you really are a renaissance man. You've started companies and you've been a pro skater, an actor, and now photography, But uh, but how do you describe yourself?
2: Uh, I think overall, just with a creative urge, you know, or a, or, a, or a creative desire. I think I've always sort of had that. And I've just sort of found these various channels. Um, skateboarding really is what opened it up because skateboarding is such a creative world. And, you know, from there you get to travel the world and you get to meet people. And some skaters are musicians, some are artists graphic designers photographers you know skateboarders are running their own companies and you know it's a very very interesting world you get turned on to a lot of music other cultures architecture you know food even you know uh, it's just it, it was an interesting platform for discovering so many things that would eventually lead to uh acting which would which would then lead to photography
3: so so that's what brought you to photography was kind of that transition or uh, that exposure well
2: going? in the early in the early 90s we were um we were shooting a lot of super 8 film kodak super 8 film nice. uh for the skate videos we put out a stereo skateboards my company that's 25 years old this year by the way um, Congrats. we put out a video called a visual sound in 1994 and we used a lot of super eight film, a lot of jazz music. We incorporated a lot of, uh, still photography and it was kind of a, an experimental skate video for its day. And so I was really into super eight and, you know, we'd messed around with like Polaroid cameras and things like that, but I had not really gotten into photography until maybe six or so years after i had become an actor. And that was essentially from just one day on a set, kind of, you know, stupidly noticing the cameras for the first time. Uh, And, (laughs) you know, kind of going, wait, what, what is all of this stuff? And, you know, because when you're acting, you're focused on you, the crew is the crew and you're kind of just doing your thing.
3: Sure.
2: and, one day I just kind of thought, wow, maybe I should know about this stuff, even as, a, even as an actor, focal lengths and, you know, light meters and all of these things. And, you know, so I just dove into it hard and fast. <laughs> Very cool. And that was probably 2001. And I bought a Bolex Super 16mm camera, and I started shooting a bunch with that. With that, I got a, a Mamiya RZ67, a Leica M6. I started doing tests, lighting tests, filters, pushing, pulling. You know, I was super, super hungry for it. And um, and that, so it all kind of started then.
1: Was the film set yeah. a place where you learned? I mean, were you like cinematographers and different people you were working with being like, let me show you a little something here? Or was it just oh, yeah. inspiration?
2: No, it was me. It was me on that particular set every single day asking questions, almost like I was being schooled. So I'd, you know, I'd be in a scene and we'd cut. And then I'd immediately go right back to asking the camera operator questions. <laughs> <laughs> and I started, lo- I started looking at gray scales. I started learning about uh, a- exposure density and 18% gray and HMI lights, tungsten lights, blue gels, orange gels, color temperature. I bought a color temperature meter. Um, and so I just super nerded out about it as I tend to do when I get into something, whether it be skateboarding, acting, not so much because acting was always kind of, I knew it was kind of entertainment and, you know, I knew that that's what it would be for me. I was always kind of hungry to, find and maintain individual creative endeavors like skateboarding, whereas acting is more of a sort of group activity, if you will. Right. And so when I found photography, ah, this is my next skateboarding, so to speak. This is my next individual creative endeavor where I answer to no one. It's whatever style I want it to be and so on and so forth. Whereas acting, you know, you're a piece of a much bigger pie. And, it, you know, unless you are on a level of, let's say a Daniel Day-Lewis or a Kate Blanchett, you know, it's it's not very easy to sort of, I mean, Daniel Day-Lewis is, uh, in the truest sense of the word, an artist as an actor, but that's very, very, very rare. Yeah. Especially by today's Hollywood standards where everything is big popcorn movies and franchises and all this stuff. So I never took the acting thing so seriously. Creatively, where those, Sort of juices were flowing and where where my focus was was photography
0: cool so how do you choose what subject matter you're going to shoot i know for the the book that you have coming out soon you shot in like west texas what drew you all there? over
2: texas yeah
0: oh, okay uh texas
2: <laughs> yeah um well because it's different the landscape varies um which is i find interesting uh let's see um I think the seed for all of that would be having grown up in California in the 70s and going to the mountains a lot, going to, you know, Lake Shasta, Northern California, fishing, and just kind of being around this kind of uh, the outskirts of what we're used to, I guess. And for me, that was suburban Orange County, Southern California. And so I have a fondness for you know, stopping off at the old service station in the back of the station wagon and getting candy and filling up before going camping and fishing for brown trout, staying in a rickety old cabin somewhere in some small mountain town. or I just have fond memories of this kind of experience. So I think on a very basic, basic level, when I see anything environmentally that reminds me of that era, I I get a certain feeling, right? So and i also like odd things you know uh in that 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 you see uh, uh, you know along the byways of california <laughs> and the contrast between old and new man versus nature this whole kind of new topographics thing i've done a lot of new mexico colorado arizona california mostly black and white over the last decade being that i live in texas now i thought well let's add texas to this sort of ongoing kind of back roads exploration of this part of America that I've been interested in, you know, for the last 11 years. But yep. let's do it on four by five film. Let's make it color because I kept thinking about the, the movie Paris, Texas. I kept thinking about Jim vendors. I kept thinking about the uh, talking heads, true stories. I, ha- I just had these color references for whatever reason uh, pertaining to, to Texas. And I knew that specifically for me, the tone that I wanted for this kind of rural exploration of Texas, I wanted flat, I wanted muted, I wanted color shifts. And so I used all expired films. And I used an old Kodak Ektar lens, which by today's lens standards is, is, is quite a cheap, not, not very high-end lens. And so... With the combination of that, with overexposing the film, the film being expired, and and exposing everything through an old Kodak Ektar lens, I was able to get this kind of muted, pale, slightly color-shifted tone that I think fits a lot of this landscape. And that's kind of the story there.
1: And are you trying to, in these images, are you kind of trying to, to show people an era gone by or an era in the future or kind of where we are today? What is it you want people to draw from the images?
2: Well, firstly, that this stuff is still there, and it's still very much uh, a a part of America's pulse, right? I'm also drawn to a certain aesthetic. You know, I like older vehicles. I like older sort of buildings or, you know, a lot of these locations – as empty as they were, looked like abandoned movie sets from a bygone era. Some of it's odd, you know. Uh, some of it's uh, some of it's interesting, but overall, it's it's essentially it's essentially this is what Texas looks like outside of what we're all familiar with. And as I mentioned in my intro, the book is called A Plain View. As I mentioned in my intro, I see all of this differently. To probably the most likely to the way the people at the center of these worlds see these things. To me, it's exciting, it's interesting, but to the people at the center of, of these landscapes, it's just a plain view, right? Yeah. right. Yeah. This is everyday life to people that live there, just as people who live in Manhattan see people walking down the sidewalk all the time, but I, I, do you see what I'm saying? But I, as an outsider, I'm rolling into these little towns and I'm seeing emptiness, abandonment and an old white truck parked in an alleyway, just kind of sitting there. To me, it looked, it almost looks like a scene from a film Yeah, and I'm trying to make it sort of in a way look like a film still. From some movie we've never seen, but that feels familiar to us. Right. So I'm trying to kind of tell a story with these little moments. And there's also, I think, a color palette that's appealing. There stylistically, architecturally, there are things that are uh, appealing to it. Um, But really, just on a basic level, it's a view of another side of life.
1: Right. And as an objective observer. That happens
2: to be that as a very objective observer, rarely do I ever get close with my camera. I'm usually pretty far away, and I'm telling you, I would roll into some of these towns and literally not see a single person. Wow. Yet the yeah. buildings are somehow preserved, and the street lights are working, and they're kind of swaying in the breeze because they're on cable versus posts.
0: Yeah, right.
2: Right. And driving literally in the North Plains of Texas, where there's nothing. There, And then you roll up to a corner between, you know, at an intersection where two farm roads meet. And on one of the corners, there's an old house sitting there with an old American car just sitting on the grass. (laughs) Like it's literally not been touched since the 1950s or 60s. There's no tagging. Nobody's ever thought to take the car. Somehow people cut the grass still, (laughs) and they weed weed whack around the car because the car is not totally overgrown, yet it just sits there. It's almost like so much of this stuff, it's almost like it's conscious installations.
0: Yeah, right. Like
2: somebody went out there and said, let's put a car here, let's put a dilapidated (laughs) house right here, the sun will hit it from here. It almost, so much of this stuff almost looks and feels like production design. Yeah. very odd
3: you the cinematic qualities uh of your shots it's exactly like you said um i I was making the comment earlier that uh you've started doing this on instagram a little bit where you'll start close in on a print and actually start pulling (laughs) back with the detail and and for a split second my mind is sitting there saying Oh yeah, he's outside. He's sitting on the railroad tracks, you know, and and, and no, yeah, yeah, just yeah. you pull back from this cinematic view of it. It literally is like perfect, but it's not. But it yeah. is. It's totally yeah. wild. And I know large format cameras tend to. Um, I mean, that's that's the quality level that you get out of a large format print. Um, it's totally evident sure. in your work. Is 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 that what led you to large format, or is can you describe kind of how you got into that?
2: Large format starts for me going back to eight by ten. Um as I mentioned I had gotten that RZ six seven at the very beginning and a lot of what I was shooting was Polaroid pack film with the Polaroid back. And I loved the film, the 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 Polaroid six six four, the one hundred speed black and white. It was kind of charcoal like, it was smooth, the grays. I thought, wow, this film is unbelievable. But mostly I think people were just using it because it was pre-digital to sort of test their lighting if they were doing sort of like commercial, you know, uh, sort of setups with lighting and all this stuff. But I started shooting more of it just as film, but I didn't like that the Mamiya cropped out some of the, it didn't use the entire piece of the Polaroid film. Right. So I thought, I wonder if Polaroid makes bigger film. And I found out that they made 4x5 and 8x10. I skipped 4x5 and went right to 8x10. <laughs> 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 I bought a, a Century Universal 8x10 camera with an old Wallen Sack lens on it on eBay for 400 bucks about 13 years ago. Nice. And I started shooting 8x10 Polaroid film out in the field with a hand crank Calumet <laughs> processor. So I, the, fir- the very first days of going out into California and exploring this kind of leftover America wasn't with 35 or the Mamiya. It was with an eight by an old <laughs> beat up eight by 10 camera and eight by 10 Polaroid film, hand cranking and making my prints on the side of the road, <laughs> wherever I was, I went out to the desert. I went up towards Mammoth highway 395, all those great little towns going up that way. And, and then I bought it, eventually I I bought a full speed graphic because I wanted to use barrel lenses with it. And speed graphics have focal plane shutters. Yep. And, and ever since then, you know, I've been shooting Polaroid 55, 54, whatever kind of 4x5 Polaroid film. But I hadn't shot much conventional film with it. And I thought, oh, maybe this would be a good opportunity to use the speed graphic with conventional films. And so I I did that for this series, and and in 25 days of driving around Texas, I made 297 exposures. Ooh, awesome! Wow! Um, my lab my my lab fee was not cheap. Let me tell you for all the scanning and processing. Oh my gosh!
3: Doing it for the love of film, though. It's good. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, that's right.
0: <laughs> was there a learning curve to figuring out how to use those older cameras? I mean, I know you. Uh... You nerded out pretty hard, but I don't know how if you went to those cameras. Yeah,
2: I mean, yeah, there's the learning curve of, like, Bellows extension and, you know, th- things like that. And then also getting used to the images upside down and reversed in the ground glass. Yeah, and then cool. realizing, oh, I should probably get a loop so I can better focus against the ground glass and have some magnification there. And stuff, you know, the front rise and all that stuff. I'm not really one for sort of, like, tweaking the focus and using movements on view cameras, but the front the front rise definitely helps a lot as opposed to tilting the camera up, which just can distort the image. Right. You just rise. You just raise the front uh, element there. But, yeah, that, it, you know, just when when you're when you're when you're into this stuff, you, you kind of you're kind of nerdy about it. I guess you you, you kind of just you learn, I guess.
1: I recently saw a post you put up on Instagram, and you were talking about how your son has started black and white photography and skateboarding. How important mm-hmm. do you think it is to pass along some of these skills? Like we've we've talked about a lot with film projection and projectionists, and like it's becoming a lost art to run a film yeah. projector. Do you see the same thing in the type of photography you're doing, and how important is it to pass the skills on to the next generation?
2: I, I think it's important to at least make them aware of it. You know, if they want to do it, cool. If not, can't push it on them. But I like the idea that even my, four, my four-year-old son has a little plastic point-and-shoot 35-millimeter camera. Yeah. Um, you know, just, just the way we want them to listen to vinyl as an option, right. you know, because it sounds better and just because it, it's something that used to exist, you know, doesn't mean it's not valid. In many cases, it's better. Of course, vinyl is much better than listening to music through an iPad. So I think it's very important just in general to kind of keep them aware of kind of many things from the past that are sort of lost. And that speaks, I think, to this series too, is that people live in these towns. People exist here. Not everybody lives in big cities and drives Priuses. Some people live in rural Texas, you know, they've lost their houses. They, 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 you know, they drive pickups and bale hay. And, and in many ways, a lot of these people living in these kind of forgotten little pockets of America are, I'm sure, far happier than a lot of people struggling with, where's my iPhone charger? And, you know, all of, all of these, all of these things. So I think just showing the kids old things, things from the past, film, whatever, um, I, I don't know. I just, I just think it's, I just think it's interesting, and my kids seem to respond to it pretty well. You know.
3: Another thing that I've seen that that uh, you were going through recently was the culling process of your prints. Um, mm. I, was, I was wondering if you could talk about, you know, how how important are prints to you? Because you, you you clearly make a lot of them. You know, you have the gallery showings, you're making these prints. Uh, what, what what do they mean to you?
2: Uh, basically, just bigger versions. For viewing, essentially and the fi- doing all the little five by seven prints helps with editing because you can lay them all out on the floor yeah and shuffle them around scratch them it doesn't matter they're just little editing sample prints yeah. but i was able to pick out the ones that i wanted for the exhibition and i pair prints up i create grids with sort of similar prints i create little themes sort of within grids and and all this stuff and so having the Having the 5x7 sample prints really helps that. But yeah, I, um, for cost reasons, for efficiency reasons, for, for hands-on super supervision reasons, I opted to make pigment prints from the scans. And to my total surprise, the, the quality is phenomenal. Eventually, I might do small, limited runs of C prints and things like that as sort of special releases. But in terms of the, the images looking exactly as I want them to look, I was able to accomplish that with the pigment prints. And so I'm really happy with those. And uh, I'm able to totally oversee that because I do it all myself Okay, and sort of quality control it.
1: Yeah. So, so Jason, just switch gears for just a moment. You went back uh, a few minutes ago. You mentioned film photographic, which is yeah. a uh, film community that you're a co curator of, and mm. I believe helped start. Tell us a little mm. bit about how important social media is to to reach a community and 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 uh, develop a community.
2: Uh, well. I'll go back a little bit and say that I was an Instagram holdout for a long time because I didn't really know what it was. And, and the last thing I would have thought was that there were people posting film photographs in digitized cell phone form <laughs> on Instagram. But, but lo, lo and behold, I out of curiosity, I realized that people were. I, I, I think I searched the 35 millimeter hashtag and discovered that there were millions of posts and I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Uh, I thought, oh wow! It's, it's Instagram isn't just pictures of people's cats and their food. <laughs> yeah. I guess, I guess, <laughs> I guess there's more to it. there's to this. plenty of that. There's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and film photographic was an idea that I had, had before even starting it on Instagram, and it's the website is still in the works. It's such a massive undertaking. It's been kind of years in the works, but basically my idea was to create a Film hub on the internet where people could buy and sell uh, film, gear, trade, message boards, how to videos, a multitude of galleries, basically a place for people to go and communicate with one another, learn some things, check out videos of interviews with photographers, live streaming, whatever the case may be, just a kind of film community website. But in the meantime, I thought, well, I'll just start it on Instagram and and at least kind of, you know, get started from there. And then that allowed me to meet a ton of people via my iPhone, which is such a strange concept. (laughs) But um, I've met so many people. And then we started hashtag photo mail drop. And then we started getting photographers sending prints to one another. And that became another way to connect the, the film community. And we started having guest curators. And now we're almost at 100,000 followers, and I think there's close to 450,000 hashtag film photographic posts now. Um, So needless to say, that's incredibly encouraging, and hopefully one day sooner than later we actually get the website up and running again. And then publishing this book that I'm putting out is going to be co-published by Film Photographic, so it'll be the first sort of book Put out under the film photographic name and i want to continue growing that grow, growing that from from there and and start start publishing photography books as well
1: awesome. it's a story that we've heard doing these interviews for the code quite a few times now is how digital tools are supporting analog and so instagram yeah. supporting film and almost spreading what film can do is something that we keep seeing mm-hmm. almost as a repeating uh, kind of thing that's happening, and maybe it's helping in a weird, weird way bring analog back a little bit.
2: Mm-hmm. I agree. I, I definitely agree. I mean, I know there are absolute diehard purists that don't scan. They they don't do Instagram. It's it's camera negative darkroom, and that's it. There's nothing digital anywhere, and I absolutely. Respect that. I used to be very stubborn about, you know, post-product, digital post-production and things like that, but I've eased up a little bit on that, especially having seen the quality of these pigment prints. And then basically concluding that as long as my base is film and the grain is transferred and it's palpable, it's registerable, it's that tangibility and warmth and that separation between subject and viewer, that film creates that digital just cannot as long as that's there i'm okay to take for now anyway like i said i haven't done a lot of research in terms of alternative printing processes for slide films but for now i'm okay with my black and white slides being pigment uh, pigment printed because what's being printed and what's being shown is 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 film um I'm okay with that. I mean, if you watch any good movie, no country for old men shot on film. It went through a massive digital process. Yep. Yep. And then it, it used to go back to film or maybe it still did at that time. now it goes film, digital, digital projection. Right. But it used to be that it would go film, digital intermediate, and then back to film and then projected. And it's through that, digital intermediate process that you warm up the film, you lighten it, you blew the sky a little bit, you bring this down, you bring this up and then you get your sort of, and then you make a print from that. So even with cinema, there's that, there's that digital step in, in between, but certainly a lot of what was done on the day is done because the cinematographer knows what he or she is doing. Yeah. Filters are being used. They're pushing, they're pulling film. They're using old glass, you know, uh, whatever that is. And when you see no country for old men, you would have to be a fool to think that it didn't look like film because no matter what it went through digitally, it's basis film. Yeah. Yep.
0: Yeah. So that
2: is by the way, a very beautifully shot movie.
0: Oh yeah. Yep. Yes, it is. That's an awesome movie. So, you're, before your book comes out for people to get, you're going to have it in a gallery, Art Space yep. 111?
2: Yeah, that's in Fort Worth. Uh, yeah, just a sample. I think I'm showing 42 prints from the series, which in book form will probably make up about 100 images. Okay. So, I'm showing less than half. I'm showing 40, 17 by 22 prints when framed and matted become 20 by 24. And then I'm showing two 50-inch pigment prints.
0: Cool. And that's starting June 2nd, right?
2: Yeah, through the 18th. And then mid-July through mid-August, I'm showing the prints in Austin.
0: Cool. Excellent.
2: And
1: uh, And the book is, is, you said it's co-published by Film Photographic, but it's also being published by Refield, correct?
2: Yeah. Chris Brown from Refield Magazine is an amazingly creative guy. We did that special issue last year where I showed a bunch of my peel-apart work from the last decade, uh, you know, in hardbound book form as a special, you know, refuel magazine issue. And, you know, we wanted to do something again, and he just put out a book under his new RF Books, this handmade book of his art, his West Texas-inspired art, and he only made 100 copies, linen cover, hand-stamped, just this really amazing little art piece of a book under the RF books name. And we thought, well, let's not, let's not, we're not doing anything more together with Refueled. Why don't we take RF books and film photographic and co and co-produce this, this Texas series together. And, um, so that became the plan. And the book will be Heidelberg press printed here in Texas. Um, so it'll be, it'll be, uh, you know it's and even the paper i'm using there's a company called red river paper and they make this amazing cotton rag soft gloss paper yeah. which i'm using which contributes to that sort of muted uh that muted quality to the images so you know from the subject matter to the paper to you know where the prints are being displayed and where the books are being produced it's, it's all in texas as That's as nice as, as it works out yeah
0: it's perfect. I mean, how involved are you with the printers themselves? Are you going there, you know, like talking uh, to them? Yeah, seeing- for the
2: last book, yeah, definitely. You're looking at paper samples. You're looking under daylight, balanced light. You're with the thing in the loops, and you're getting it all sorted, and you're tweaking this and tweaking that, and, you know, you're, yeah, it's, it's it's a lot of work. And those old Heidelberg presses are are pretty, pretty impressive. They look like giant... Antique submarines or something. I don't know if you've ever seen <laughs> a Heidelberg press, yeah. but they're they're really they're really really impressive. So yeah, we're going to use the same printer and and do the offset printing. We're going to make two hundred and fifty limited edition versions, signed and numbered with and that each come with an eight by ten print nice. in in a like in a gatefold in the back of the book, and then we're going to have a probably a, and then it, just a kind of open edition version uh of maybe about a thousand whereas the last book with refueled was limited to just 500 copies So this will be a little bit more conventional book release
0: is the print in the uh, limited edition all going to be the same or are they going to be different
2: i will mix it up Ooh, very cool
1: nice That's and, and yeah. when will this be available for people
2: in the wider release. i've been so swamped with the you know the exhibitions and stuff like that realistically when we sit down and start editing the book, get paper samples, have a multitude of meetings with the printer, you know, it's probably not going to be until late fall that the book will be, you know, ready to, to, to go.
1: Yep. Um, and, yeah. and what is it like, what does it mean to you as a photographer, as an artist to hold that book in your hand at the end? Is that still, cause I imagine it's a pretty special experience.
2: Yeah, I mean, I've only done it once. I mean, I've had stuff published in magazines over the years, and I've done little exhibitions and stuff here and there. You know, I've been a part of little group shows and stuff here and there. But um, it certainly feels good, especially when it's hardbound. You know, there's something about holding a a hardbound uh, book. It definitely feels uh, great. I mean, it's it's sort of having proof that you were there, that you were in these locations, exposing film and... And you're, you're contributing that book as one tiny sliver in this massive kind of landscape of books and stories that people have told with cameras. And that's kind of how I look at it. Photography is a massive library and everybody has a little sort of, you know, a little sliver of it. And we get to see so many different perspectives and, and views of sometimes very similar subjects or, and it's just kind of nice to, ha- to to try to contribute something to that big library of, of photography.
1: Nice. Well, well, Jason, it's been such an honor to talk with you. I just want to wrap up with one final question. And and oh, sure. A- as I as I look through the work that you've done, your photography, the skateboarding, the acting, and even the people you've collaborated with, the Kevin Smith, Cameron Crowe, and and Pixar, uh-huh. it's all it's all one of the, the kind of common threads I see is this the sort of like you are following your own voice and you're being very authentic to who you are as a creative person. And, and for people out there right now who are starting their career, they're looking forward, how important is it for, for a new creative person to find their own way? Like I noticed earlier, you said, I I don't want anyone I have to answer to. How has that impacted who you've become as an artist today?
2: Oh man. Uh, that's a really good question. Uh, well, I mean, the the basic starting answer to that would be: if you're into something, you do it, and that's it. No matter what it takes, you just do it. Sometimes it takes work. There's trial and error. Oftentimes, you look back and go, "What was I thinking?" Uh, <laughs> you know, there's going to be a lot of that. You know, uh, skateboarding was something that was immensely important to me. I thought about it. Even in my sleep, I skateboarded to school. I skateboarded home. I watched videos. I met skateboarders. I did everything in my power to fulfill my dream of becoming a professional skateboarder. But certainly, I look back at those early days where I'm wearing like bicycle gloves and a beret (laughs) and like puffy, you know, puffy MC hammer pants and going, man, I worked, I definitely worked hard to get there. But man, I, My style was quite questionable at times Um, (laughs) uh, along the way, but yeah, I I think if if it's something that you're passionate about, you just have to do it and you've got to put a lot of time and money and you've got to buy stuff and make mistakes and trial and error and uh, and all of these things. But I also think it's important to have influences and to not be afraid to draw from those influences as musicians do. You you know what I mean? I mean, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's pretty incredible. I mean, uh, and to find people's work that perhaps validates how you feel about what you like to see and try to contribute something similar to that. I, I, You know, I I, I would be lying if I said when I first saw William Christenberry's work, you know, 15 years ago and the way he documented Alabama, this kind of rural, strange, dilapidated, overgrown Alabama, that, you know, that that didn't inspire me and that I don't that that's not today. One of still today, one of my references, you know, I think you can have your own voice and your own perspective while maintaining references and influences. And and it certainly helps, too, to sort of look at other people's work because you might learn something as well, you know. Excellent. But I, I think it's all just a guttural thing. It's, it, photography is instinct, 100%. If you overthink a shot, even when you're shooting large format and you're having to take the camera out of the trunk and, open the lens and focus, put the dark cloth on, you're moving the tripod around. Even large format, it's instinctual. Like you you roll up to a scene if you're shooting what I've been shooting and if something feels right about it, the lighting, the scene, the angles, you just shoot it, get back in your car and keep going. Like I think it's just a guttural, instinctual thing. I don't think you, I don't think it requires much overthinking photography. And so whatever that is for you, if it feels right, if it feels honest, you know, even if you're William Christenberry and you're shooting a photo of, a, of an old dilapidated barn, but it's somehow inspiring to you, you, you do it anyway. And it doesn't matter if somebody's, well, well, that's just a photograph of an old dilapidated barn. That doesn't mean anything. I think that's kind of the point yeah. that for him it did mean something and it challenges us to, to to ask the question, well, what is a good photograph? Does it have to be beautiful? Does it have to be, uh, you know, that that's why for me personally, I was intrigued by the new topographics movement, which basically was a, a counter to what Ansel Adams was doing, which was essentially very pretty landscape photography that required a lot of darkroom work. And this kind of older school of trying to elevate photography to, to to this artistic level, and then suddenly you had the Stephen Shores and the Winogrands and the uh, Henry Wessels and all of these guys from that era, the Robert Adams that were shooting essentially plain things, and I, I can't imagine that they're you know, weren't a lot of people at that time going, but this is just photographs of an intersection. (laughs) I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what to make of this. This is just a photograph of a, of a car sitting in the middle of a field. But I think the point became, but that's the landscape too. Right. And, you know, and it sort of challenged the thinking of well, what is a good photograph and does photography have to be, uh, does it have to be beautiful? And what is beautiful? Right. So I take pride in kind of just documenting what I see, and hopefully the viewer can see a story there or appreciate an aspect of this particular landscape that they may otherwise just kind of pass on a day-to-day basis. It, maybe it reminds them of their childhood, or it, they draw some cinematic reference from it, there's some kind of thing that happens when you look at a photograph and it becomes that much more interesting when that thing gets triggered and they're looking at something decidedly plain. Mm-hmm. Right. Because even a plain view of plain things can still trigger something in some way. I like that in my own way. I'm, I'm trying to contribute to that dialogue of, does it have to be this magical, beautiful awe inspiring image to, to be to be considered photography. My answer is I don't think it does. So but that took a lot of years of sort of formulating that perspective. And now that I have it, I kind of stick to it. And right or wrong it feels honest to me. And so that would be my advice. Whatever it is for whomever, if it feels right, you just go with it, no matter what
1: fantastic that's a great advice and yeah. jason thank you so much for joining us
3: yes
2: absolutely. i can't thank you guys enough for the support and so posting one of the photos and uh certainly means a lot to get support from you guys i went through a lot of your crusty old expired film to get these stuff <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we know uh, where you uh, can I, get I some will, new stuff <laughs> yeah. i i i implore you to go to the heads of this empire that is Kodak and see if you can't get Kodak to make ready load film again <laughs> <laughs> I cannot tell you how easy it is to have your gear in the in the trunk of your car and you're driving around and you're, you know, and to, to use the, the packets and to just write on the packets the number of the exposure that, and put it back in the box, it's just <laughs> so convenient and just awesome. And, uh, you know, I bought all the packets on eBay. I know. You know, and I was just, I'd wake up at 2 in the morning, is there any more ready load on eBay? Because I'm going back on the road. <laughs> is there any more? And I'm buying everything. I'm buying Exochrome from 92. I'm buying E100VS. I'm buying Pro 100, Portra, yeah. Verica. The color was cut sheet film. And so that I preloaded into 40 into 20 double sided holders in a changing bag in my office here and just put those in a box and went out and, you know, but had I not had the ready load. You know, it, it would have been a lot of like changing films. You know, I mean, I don't know. It's just, it's yeah. it's just so awesome it, to have the, the the ready load. So that that would be that would be my little pitch is to we'll perhaps uh, we, to, we will if, carry yeah. your message if, if you can't get we'll <laughs> the ready load going again. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, Fantastic. Guys. All right. Hey, Thank you guys. Bye. Talk to you later. So have, Thanks. Have a great week, guys. Thank bye. you. Yeah,
3: you too.
0: great satisfaction to be able to speak to you through the medium of this wonderful invention.